You're listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories, a podcast that celebrates the wisdom, courage, experience, and joy of individuals in the queer community. Every week, we feature a guest who has a remarkable story to tell about their coming out and the life they've lived beyond. Now here's your host, Anne-Marie Zansel. I am so happy to introduce today Laura Brown, who is a self-proclaimed hippie, Jew, the owner of a small business, a wife of 15 years to one of the most amazing men she ever met, a mother of a 18-year-old son, a dog mom of two rescues at this time, a supporter of women-owned businesses, LGBTQIA+, and Black-owned businesses. She's an active supporter of Animal Rescue, a volunteer as a district captain for the ASPCA. She grew up in a human rights activist world with several mentors guiding her along her journey. Laura was raised in the 70s and 80s with a lesbian or bisexual mother and a lesbian sister, putting her in the middle of the fight for the rights of the LGBTQIA community at an early age, as well as women's rights. She's a corporate dropout and a proud supporter of full inclusion for LGBTQIA plus folks. Laura loves where her journey has taken her and enjoys being able to be a servant to whom she supports and helps. Being a voice to those who have lost their voice or the, in, or the innocent that are not sure how to speak up or where to start. Laura helps the women in her own business to find their voices while helping their clients and supporting them. Being able to see the bigger picture and problem solve has been of great assistance to Laura throughout her life. Living each day as a way to improve upon the day before is her journey and hopes for her life. Well, welcome, Laura Brown. It's so nice to have you here. Nice to have you as well, or be here. I'm so used to my own, I'm sorry. But it's exciting, you know, um, being on another podcast and speaking and being able to speak with women and just get to know everybody and build such amazing communities. I'm so excited. Laura, tell us your story. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Tell people that they're always like, uh, (laughs) I would really like to focus more about uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand about mm-hmm. your mom and your sister growing up in that culture and 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 how that has affected you and guided your life. So okay. mm-hmm. absolutely. So I was I originally come from New York. Um and my my I have an older sister who's eight years older. So we got a big spread between us. And um my mother moved us to Colorado after she divorced my dad um and it was a highly abusive relationship so moving to Colorado kind of running away getting out of that norm um in the 70s where women were just kind of barely getting into a certain point where they're allowed to even have a bank account you know always or, being uh, with your husband and you and I we you and I I mean you remember this but like you know people don't re- like the people who are younger than us I heard mm-hmm. yesterday, the other day, it wasn't until 1970 that people could, women could get their own mortgages. Mm-hmm. Like, it's insane. So I know what you're talking about, like the rights that we have, and especially the younger generation, take for granted 
are fairly new. They're like 50 years old. Yeah, they really are. And it's amazing. So it sounds like your mom was pretty brave. So she left this marriage and you all moved to Colorado. So what happened next? (laughs) So being in Colorado where, you know, being a single parent, um, she started driving the school bus and learned how to drive the buses, which was very new for women as well. Um, and then got hired with the RTD, which is the Colorado transit system. Um, she was in the second class where they hired women. So she was like, well, here we go. We are trendsetters and this is what's going to happen and go. So that's what she did. And, um, we were, you know, just kind of navigating through things. And while at RTD, she met this amazing woman um, that she fell in love with and was like, I think I'm in love. And I'm like, well, yay, mom, who is it? You know? And she's like, well, you've met her. And I'm like, her. her. And I was about six, seven. So I was like, okay. And I had um, my godmom was um, a lesbian that came from New York as well. So I was used to, you know, being around lesbian women and, and it was not um, a shock or like a a judgment, but it was a shock as far as, well, you were married, you know, and I'm six, seven, you know, so it's like, what? (laughs) But um, you didn't realize people could um, switch teams at that point. Right. switch. Okay. (laughs) So um, it really wasn't much of anything to me. Like I didn't really think much about it. Um, My mom was very key and adamant about us not growing up in in specific areas where we weren't going to learn. Um, she she put us into communities with lots of different culture and ideas and open thinking. So she was just very clear on that. Um, so I was like, okay, if I do, I loved Donna and she was amazing. And I was like, yay, Donna, another woman in the family. Like who cared? I was great with it. Happy. Um, and then about six months after that, my sister, who then was almost 15, came out the closet. Okay. was like I'm a lesbian and I was like oh okay big question to everybody for me was does that make me one too of right course, of because course or or for my the women that I work with is oh my sister's the lesbian in the family so I can't be one you know okay. what I mean so there yeah. it's a both and thing so I'm sure you're considered her sexuality at that point <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's funny because the answer that came out was perfect. It was, well, statistically, probably not. But as you get older, we'll figure it out, right? All right. You know, and that's just kind of how Did you it say that to yourself, Laura, or did your mom say that to you? My mom said that to oh. me. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't imagine growing up in the 80s with um, that kind of support. And just like such an acceptance of sexuality and human beings. I like what a gift your mom gave you. Yeah. I have a quick question. What where were you in Colorado, first of all? Were you in a like a ranch town or were you like in the city? <laughs> we were in the city. When we first moved there, I have an aunt and uncle that lived in Boulder. So mm-hmm. we were in Boulder at first, um, and really into with the Jewish community out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom moved us to Golden. Okay. 
didn't work for us because my mom's idea was I can't let you grow up in the blue-eyed America thinking that everybody is blonde-haired and blue-eyed. It's irresponsible. So we moved to what's considered East Denver, which was primarily at that time an all-Black community. Wow. So it was very interesting. And I was like, okay. But my mom's Donna was black. My godmother was also a black woman. So it was those things where in the responsibility of growing up with culture and around different people and learning, that was all part of it. Being in the lesbian and gay community, being in the black community, knowing we were Jewish and that we weren't white, that we were Jewish and we were going to face anti-Semitism and women's right problems and stuff like that. So she was very clear on putting us strategically in places where we could grow. School. What was that like with for you with two lesbian moms and your mom being an interracial relationship? I mean, so my first fiance was an African-American man and it was about that same time. It was really hard and Connecticut to be dating a black guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so I, I under, I remember that. I mean, I'm, a, I'm about 10 years older than you, but it, I remember that, like, it was really super hard. So I'm curious, like, what was that like for you going to school with all those um, intersections? What's interesting is I didn't, it wasn't that big of a challenge for me. I was extremely comfortable in that community and in, in, in all of those communities, I was just comfortable. I was me. I was this goofy, annoying, Oh my God, child who gave my, I was the the child. I was, I was the child. My grandmother wished on my mother. So I was just one of those high kids that my mother was just like, I love her. Um, But being in those communities, they were villages. So she wasn't alone, even though as a single parent trying to maneuver all of this, I wasn't faced with it so much because we were all now so different around us. We all had our thing and we're all dealing with all of the rights of the world and things that were happening and discrimination and 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 judgment and all of that. So we kind of were a community that could face it together. Um, And it was very interesting. And even in the black community where certain things um, as time went on, things became very highly judgmental back in that time. I didn't see that people were super open. They were always excited. They loved my mom. They loved Donna. They loved Pandora, my sister, like nobody had any real quandaries except for a couple of friends, parents who were, um, big you know church going church very going people yeah straightforward people I, I have to ask you is your mom your mom must have been a hippie because with your daughter your <laughs> sister's name being Pandora that was like oh my gosh yeah that's a we are a true hippie family like you know we were just pretty pretty natural um even now when I left after I left corporate even before I left corporate I went all natural like my hair is in color and I don't wear makeup I don't bother and if it's uncomfortable to wear I refuse so it's I'm just have you done done the girl braless revolution you know how people are going braless 
<laughs> my mother burned her bra in the 60s. I didn't start wearing one until I was about 16. And then over COVID and leaving corporate, I was like, peace. I haven't had one. So <laughs> I'm a free bird. <laughs> well, the lovely, the lovely thing about being shot from this way up. You, you know, I just make sure that like, you know, I'm presentable. so you grew up in this incredible I mean like you need to write a book has anyone ever told you that you really need to write a book because what a bless I mean like okay so like how your mother identifies or identified is um so much of the values I hold as well and I admire what she did because she took you out of a lily white town and said, hey girls, this place, you know, world, the world isn't like that. And it was so incredibly like intentional and also super, I mean, you know, people use woke as such a slur, but it's not. She was definitely someone who was really ahead of her time. I mean, she was a trailblazer. Yeah, absolutely. And we got lucky with that, you know, um, it, the understanding of not having to fit in and not having to be or act a certain way or think that the world was closed off and not learning. Like as a Jewish kid, I went to church because my babysitter went to church four days a week. I sang in church choir. I went on church choir tours. Um, and they knew who I was. They knew who my mother was. Um, it wasn't always real accepted, but I was always the one that was like, yeah, but what you're teaching in church isn't what I believe anyway. Like I'm here because I'm kind of required to be. Um, and, but I enjoyed it, you know, being around people, but I was also the educator. So I'm like, oh, you were taught this. Great. Where did you read that? Where did that come from? And so I always asked way too many questions for pastors in church. Um, <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, Lori, you're cute. Why don't you go over there and go hang out and let the adults, you know, be around fine, whatever. Um, but knowing I was open and, and free to do what I wanted, my mother was like, learn. So, you know, I've been to mosque, I've been to synagogue, I've been to Buddhist temple, I've been in churches. I I happen now to be more um, just in general. I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I have very mm-hmm. little to do with religion. Jewish, the Judaism is a culture. Yes. And I call totally Jewish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, birth, birth lines, bloodlines, but I'm super open and I'm more into the divine, spiritual health, intuition, empath. That's where my journey has led me. So we're free to decide. And my mother was very clear about that. We can teach you whatever and wherever you go, you go. Well, it it is, um, it really is absolutely amazing. You grew up in an environment like that. And while I have been sitting, while you have been talking, I'm like, I'm going to do four episodes for Pride Month and you will be definitely featured as one of them because you are, um, you're of a pretty outspoken generation, especially with the, a lot of the lesbians that came out during that time. They were often members of now. They were often referred to as like, you know, now, you know, uh, uh, Betty Friedan called them the, uh, the lavender menace. You know, because they were doing so much work within now and the, the it was a very white hetero organization at that point. And 
they were so not not all the women in there, but like they would they didn't you know, lesbians were fighting for the right for people to choose abortion when um, uh, when they didn't need that. Right. You know, if they're in a purely a lesbian relationship and 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 the, some of the women within the now organization didn't care about their rights. And and so it's not all. Absolutely not all. And I'm not saying all, but some women didn't care. So it's really interesting the the history of our of the lesbian culture. So what happened next? You grow up in this very inclusive, very, um, very diverse um home. And what did you and then you go to corporate America, which makes me laugh. But it's about a white place. Yeah. <laughs> Once I figured out growing up, it does turn out that I happen to be the straight one in the family. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm having it now I'm dating and I happen to date black men. Mm -hmm. so I grew up in the black sense. community and made mm -hmm. a whole lot of sense to me. But having to explain to them like, so I'm just going to let you know if you got any problems with this, I'm not the one you want to talk to because lesbian mother, lesbian sister, I'm around, I was raised around all women. I'm a very strong, outspoken, independent, very mouthy woman. Just know that about me. And if that scares you at all. I'm sure some I'm, of the, I'm sure some of the guys love that. Right. The idea of it, like, oh, all woman family. Until you get there and you realize that is the only man around a lot of times it could be an uneasy place to be you know I think a lot of men need that I do too yeah <laughs> so Absolutely. where did you go to college Laura um I did a little stint at Aurora Community College in Colorado um but I from the time I was 18 I pretty much I started working with teenagers Mm -hmm. And I was there for 13 years working in case management for juvenile court, um, residential facilities. I spent quite a few years working with um, teenage sex offenders. Mm -hmm. um, so I was more in that community, again, of just kind of being servant, teaching, learning, you know, um, mm -hmm. and then I got burned out. Of course. Um, Social service work is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And also yeah. seeing all the. I can imagine seeing, you know, hurt people hurt people. So those kids that committed those crimes, I'm sure the majority of them came from very abusive environments. And so seeing all that all the time takes a toll. I understand that because um, I have been working with people that have been in grief transition and loss now for 15 years. And I'm pivoting my business to working with people who want to create businesses and so I'm looking forward to creation and joy and excitement because I just can't do the lost sadness <laughs> and grief anymore. I, I just can't. And I've moved, you know, I don't know if you know this, maybe you saw this with your mom and your sister is that as you become more and more comfortable being a queer person, you become more and more outspoken <laughs> and you become, you become like I was at, my wife and I were in the gallery with the Tennessee three and, um, I got a nice picture with Justin Pearson and, you know, we did some advocacy work then because it was ridiculous what happened in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So, and I have found as I have become more like I have moved through, you know, just coming out at 50 to being mm -hmm. where I am now is like, I am like such a, like, I don't, I don't care anymore. You want to hate me? Go ahead. I'm going to do this work. 
Yeah. <laughs> so here for. <laughs> yeah. So you so you left this type of advocacy. Now your ASPCA work is that tell me about that. So I um on top of all of this, my love and joy is animals. Mm-hmm. Um if you ask me, could I live without people? hundred percent. As long as I don't have to live without animals. Like I am definitely an animal person. I was the little kid that stuck their hands in fences and cars and all that stuff. Oh, puppy, you know, Mm -hmm. had no care in the world when it came to animals. So the older I've got, um, I've I've even been known to jump out of a few moving cars on a stray dog. This sounds so much like my wife. (laughs) She, She once, she went under a car on a highway to get a kitten. Oh, oh. Bless her. Yeah. And she was going to try to fall, and then she never gave it. She kept it for <laughs> She wanted to, like, I'm going to give this away. I don't need another cat. Her ex partner and her had, I think, six animals, like four, four dogs and two cats. They were really huge animal lovers. So I understand that. Yeah. So you were that little girl climbing underneath the car to get the kitten. And I, I turned out to be allergic to animals. So I just spent several years not being able to keep them. Like I'd find them astray find them a home, do whatever, but I couldn't keep them. Um, And then I started uh, when I was finally on my own and really on my own, I got a dog and then got more. And then my husband finally was like, look, we hit our limit. We're not doing this. I'm not going to have the animal farm. I love you. But so he's kept a a close reign on me when it comes to that. He's like, we'll find them homes and stuff like that. But the ASPCA um, does, each state has their own like district captains put into it to advocate, to lobby and to call the senators and to call the um, um, government and to help with the laws that are coming through, you know, like push them. Are you going to do this? Let's have these conversations and do that lobbying piece for the laws um, and then the enforcement. Like we passed this law, why is nobody enforcing it? And because I'm just so adamant about the treatment of animals, I rehabbed pit bulls when they were all being banned and all that stuff. So there's a lot of that. I've always liked the big scary dog, right? German shepherds, dobies, pit bulls. I love them. They're like my heart. So being able to be able to do that kind of volunteering, the older I get, because chasing animals down streets and into ditches is not a suitable long term for me. Um, it was the way of me being able to still be able to be a part of all that and love animals, but do it in a way that wasn't quite so dangerous anymore um, and, and really be able to give on a broader scale. So. I do have meetings with our, you know, our senators and our governor and our mayor and that kind of thing. And I don't know how keen they are on me, but <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Um, yeah. So you you um, obviously left a very difficult job is when, you know, you said in 2009. So then did you go to America? <laughs> I did. Yes. Yeah. I spent 15 years. Um, Because it was right before, it was in 2006. So I was like, I'll do a couple years, get past the burnout and go back, right? Mm -hmm. And then the recession hit and nobody was leaving their jobs. Like there wasn't even a hint that you might leave your job in any way. So I settled into corporate 
and then settled into developing teams in different departments to handle escalated problem-solving teams. So I was like, I'm right back in the nitty gritty of is, you know, is this fun? Is this not fun? This isn't fun. Cause I swore our company was the crappiest company. It's all I heard all day. Um, and I was there for 12 years and just kept doing it. Like I'm there. And then finally one day I was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm, I, we had some management changes the manager I'd been under for such a long time, whom I loved and was a great leader. He was leaving who they were putting in charge. was not so great. We didn't mesh well. Um, and I literally had an argument with that person and then went into my, ex- my higher executive's office and looked at him and said, I quit before I catch a case. I don't have enough bail money for what's about to happen. <laughs> and he was like what I'm so serious I don't have enough bail money I would take the charge if I had enough bail money right now so I'm dangerous I'm not I'm not okay I'm absolutely dangerous to myself and others right now so was this pre-covid or post-covid pre-covid okay I was in 18 so were you were you doing advocacy work at that time, because you said you've been really act- active in advocacy this entire time. And so a lot of times, you know, people think that sometimes people, you know, it's like a full-time job, but a lot of times it's 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 something you do um, part-time or like it's a volunteer activity. So you were advocating for your puppies and animals and stuff like that. What other advocacy work were you doing? I was still doing a lot of work with kids. Um, plus, I then also had my son who was in sports, my husband coached with friends that were coaching. He had teams. And so I got a lot more involved in his life because he played everything, baseball, basketball, football. Like he was in it. And my days were like corporate, run home, practice, eat, get up. I understand that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like... When did I become soccer mom? Because that was not the life I lived, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, it was, you know, dealing with helping with animal rescues and helping with, you know, um, writing letters and doing stuff when it came to the children, because I still had my heart, you know, um, I'm not a fan of teenagers, but I still have my heart there. You know, Mm -hmm. um, part of being on burnout was, I don't really like them and I'm getting ready to have one, you know, so I had to get to a point where I was okay with teenagers again. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was definitely, you know, being involved in that. And I did obviously a lot less than I was before. Of course. Um, We get busy with other things. Yeah. So your mom, we talked before we got on, What, what, what year did she pass away? 2010. So you were, so the, the care of your mom had ended at that point and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, when we were talking before I got, before we started recording, you said you came from a really long line of activists, your mother, your grandmother and your great grandmother. And can you talk about that a little bit? Like, it's almost like feminism is in your blood. <laughs> like you, like, it's almost like, I bet your genetics have completely changed. <laughs> you <are> just- <laughs> I would, is your son a feminist? 
Um, not so much. You know, he definitely, he, he, you know, women's rights, he understands that, you know, we are equal. This is what is. Um, and he grew up with me just, of you know, course. Yeah. um, and he supports it as much. Um, my son and my husband, a lot of times, a lot of times are more focused on the black community with what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did come to me a few years ago when, um, the two the people that were run over during a not a um oh god where my brain a protest. a protest thank you um where the two people were run over and what he noticed what he recognized is that the signs were talking about Jews um, and he was like well what's that about he said because it was a it was a uh the issue was in the black community and i was like oh son i'm sorry but the only group hated probably more than black people in this moment right now are jews and he's like well why do they hate you know jews what happens i was like i'm still not ever very clear on how why I'm I'm not clear clearly it's something where you know the realization that it's a bloodline we're not white people and that we are a different bloodline in other countries we're Middle Eastern so it just who knows I said I I've had Christians say things to me off the wall and I'm just like oh okay Um, well I would I would I would say that it is directly related to um Christianity, you know, and um, which is so um, unbelievably sad because Christianity spread, uh, sprung out of Judaism. I mean, Jesus was Jewish. Um, And um, I, so I went to Yale Divinity School. And um, so I would say that some of the scriptures um, especially when you read the Gospel of John, uh, they talk about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and um, and then of course, you know, when the uh, Crusades happened and mm-hmm. all those things, and you know what I find, Laura, is that societies are always looking for a scapegoat. Oh, God. you know, and now I would say more hated than the. <laughs> I don't, this is not a pissing contest, but like trans folks right now are, you know, being the scapegoat for so many things. And it's, it's distract. It's, it's like such a, um, playbook, uh, propaganda playbook page, you know, distract, distract, distract from what the real problems are and Mm -hmm. let us hate others that are not the same as us. And so it's just incredibly sad. You know, and it's and I, you know, it's been going on forever and um, I wish we would learn. Simply, I wish we would learn. So tell me about those grandpa moms. <laughs> <laughs> so my granny was a jazz pianist and she taught piano. Um, so when my mother was young, she'd be in the jazz clubs in New York. And then so my mother and my and her, her older sister. Would but that was just. And, that was so like women were not jazz pianists that then. 
And, uh, you know, from Rochester, New York, the little Jewish lady hanging out, she's down in the jazz clubs where back then were all black clubs and with her two daughters and red, red, bright red curly hair and them hanging out behind the bar with all these kids. And that were, you know, part of the club, you know, because they had all the employees would bring their kids in too, you know, it's kind of how life went back then. Um, and that was really my, how my granny kind of introduced all that in because it was, eh, who cares? You mm -hmm. know, like we're all mixing it up together. Nobody cared in New York city. No one really gave a crap at mm -hmm. all. They were so into their own. It's like, whatever, live your life, go about your business, your day, who cares? Mm -hmm. And so it was really just that. And, you know, my, my grandmother, apparently my grandmother before, um, uh, my, my granny's mother, mm -hmm. um, was kind of the same way. It was, eh, let people live their lives. If it doesn't directly affect, if you're not killing someone in my family or you're not harming or taking rights away from someone in my family, you live yours. I have zero to do with that because you're not harming anyone living your own life. Um, yeah, and that right. really was just what it was. And, and, and in the Jewish community, that's really what is taught. It's love and charity and living. We all have our own journey. Um, and there's rules and bylaws and things. If you're Orthodox, they live a much different life than we live. Yeah, I was just going to say, I've had, I'm like, yeah, not all Jewish people. <laughs> when we go towards the Reform Jews and maybe yeah. conservative Jewish. <laughs> no, because I've worked with women who've come out later in life from the uh, Orthodox Jewish um, community. And that's pretty darn hard. They. That yeah, yeah. You live your life a certain way. So like it sounds like uh rebellion and um uh respect for human beings and respect for people to live their lives. Mm -hmm. You will fight for them to have the rights for them to live their lives in the most best way, but you ain't getting involved if it doesn't <laughs> if it doesn't infringe on other people's rights. Yeah, right. I think exactly. I'm that like. You know, and it's so funny, too, because for years, even when I was living my straight life, I always um, felt that way. I was like, why do you like I remember, you know, I mean, maybe because I was a closeted lesbian, but I was like, why do you care so much? Like, this is none of your business. If somebody wants to like and and now having lived a straight life and now I'm married to a woman um, like I really like. I can really tell the difference and I can feel the discrimination and, and I can feel the judgment. And, um, and I think like my wife, who's always been out, uh, she's like, so used to it. She doesn't notice it, you know, like it's, it's not part of her, but I can tell the difference. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm like, seriously, you're going to be left. Like I, it's like it's a mis uh, a mixture of anger and laughter. Right. You're gonna treat me differently because who I spend my life with, like yeah. like who I go home with and sleep with at night, like are you really? And like I'm I'm really incredulous. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. We're yeah. Like, it's like being married to someone who's African American. You really you're gonna treat me differently because I'm married to someone who's of a different race than me, big deal, you know, like go live your life. Don't worry about us, you know? Mm -hmm. 
We should start an organization, Laura. Go live your life. Go live your life. <laughs> you know, like, and I explain to people all the time, like the stuff with abortion that came up, like um, we weren't allowed wire hangers in our house. I mean, that's how anti this whole situation my mother was. She was like, abortion rights are right. You don't get to tell me I'm a woman, back off, especially when it comes to men. Like she's it was just very adamant. She goes, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna argue with man about this. Um, and I'm not really gonna argue with a woman about this. Like that was her stance on things. So we grew up knowing that we needed abortion rights, whether or not we believed in it or didn't believe we choose it, for it for ourselves, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I was met with that at 15 years old when mm-hmm. I was pregnant. My mom was like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she she made the appointment. She went in and I, you know, and that was done. And she actually also had an abortion when she was my age. She was 16. So back in the 50s, you know, so very hard to do. Right. Um, and then we found out my granny actually had one, too. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, that that's that idea of we don't necessarily, and it's not birth control. It's not, we're just going to keep doing this or doing that. I wouldn't go through that again, ever. I still very, it's very clear in my mind still at my age. Um, but the idea that the choice was there because right. at 15, I was not prepared nor ready. And my mother was not raising another child. Life. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't gonna do it and she was very clear on that so those kinds of things and it was great that it was in place since we did need it but um even if I had never needed it it would definitely be in place because it's that I don't have to agree I do have to agree either way mm-hmm. I just need to support it Because as we start to take things away, we don't understand what keeps getting chipped away from our rights and what it took to get to where we are. I literally remember my mother crying in a bank because they wouldn't let her open a bank account. Where's your husband? Where's your husband? That's all they could say to her. And my mom was in tears because she's like, I need to be able to open a bank account. And they're just like, well, you need your husband. And I just was so confused watching that. Like, what does my dad have to do? He's not here. Like, he can't, you know? So it was just always so confusing. So the idea of us turning back the time on what it took so long to fight for um, and to, to fight in, and then that same thing where we fought for all these rights in the LGBTQ community, and we were there, and we've been on the front lines, and we're fighting and fighting and fighting, they get the rights, and then all of a sudden, here we are reversing, slowly chipping back away, where you're going to be hiding in closets. My mom and Donna were best friends for a very long time. That was what it was, because Donna wasn't out to her family, even though Donna was always a lesbian but she wasn't out like that so for a very long time it was the best friends they were just very close friends and everybody knew right it just everybody wasn't it, it you know it was like that's very it, you know people just didn't talk about it you yeah. know like I mean come on you know Right. <laughs> two best women, two best friend women don't live together in the same house and raise children yeah. together. 
they, yeah. they just don't. I'll have to tell you something afterwards. But. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Laura, it was amazing having you on this show. Um, I'm really grateful for sharing the story of your mother and growing up with such a fierce feminist and um, it really has really, you can tell she did a great job and it was wonderful to really, truly wonderful to hear your story. And I'm really excited to share it because so many of my people that I work with worry about the effect of their being a lesbian on their children. And I'm always like, your kids are going to be fine. You know, I always say that I find that if somebody comes out and their child is like less than nine or less, they often like the kids just don't care. It's Mm -hmm. so quickly with the divorce and with um, oftentimes the women I work with have to get divorced. And so especially with the coming out, because it quickly becomes the kids normal. And it's so simple, like, are you going to have a boyfriend again, mommy? No, I think I might date girls this time. That's how that's how it's really that simple. <laughs> it's that simple. It's not this big coming out to your kid. The older kids do have a little bit of a harder time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really do appreciate how much you shared about like how, how your mother, I think, and, you know, being raised in such an open environment really influenced you in such a positive way in your life. And I love how you describe your business and I'm going to try to get you to come on my other podcast and we'll hook these two together so people can hear both stories. So absolutely. thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.